emotionally, women tend to put a greater emphasis on safety and security. Um, we need to satisfy the need. It's not a want, it's a need for safety and security before we can move on, in many cases, to investing our money and putting it to work for us. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here together with Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I am doing fabulous. I am just going through underwriting a bunch of my own personal investments and watching things kind of fly off the shelves. It's, it's amazing how with everything that's going on right now, you would think that people would be afraid and fearful to be buying right now, but in fact, it's the exact opposite and people are still continuing to buy and in a lot of markets, I'm seeing things go with it before I even have time to even do my underwriting, the property is already under contract and it's just, it's wild. I was curious is, is I know, um, you know, your husband is a realtor. Is he experiencing the same thing? You know, he was just looking at his um, financials over the last several months and mm -hmm. this month is about to be a record month. Highest so sales like this year, highest sales like ever for his team. Wow. And so I think it's across the board. I think probably what happened was like March, April, when all this stuff, the shelter in place mandates came out, people mm -hmm. were you know scared. They didn't know what to yeah. do. And so they pulled back as you would naturally would, right? But then right. as things settled down a little bit and people got used to it, now there's this buildup. Right. There were those months that did people didn't buy, people didn't sell, and now there's this buildup. And so now people are ready again to mm -hmm. get out there. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Yeah, it's so wild. And it's I think it's good, you know, to see all of this activity happen because it keeps businesses going and it keeps activity going within the economy. And I think that's what didn't happen at the last downturn and people there was no activity at all. I still remember the year that we bought in, in two thousand nine. Um, you know, our, our agent had said that she hadn't sold a house in months and you know, she was talking with people here and there, but no one was buying anything. And it was like tumbleweeds and nothing, no activity at all. And um, at least in the Bay Area, you know, so yeah. I think it's good. Yeah. It's tough when, you know, a downturn or session like this happens to really gain that secure footing to, to be confident to move forward, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which is something we talk about with today's guest, Jean mm -hmm. Chatsky, CEO of HerMoney.com. And she's also been the financial editor for NBC Today for 25 plus years. Is She's had a fantastic, very cool journey that we'll dive into in the episode. But when we asked her, you know, because she's passionate about helping women to learn more mm -hmm. about finances and investing just like we are. And we asked her, you know, what are women struggling with and mm -hmm. um, why aren't they investing more? And so she said one of the big issues is that 
women are always concerned about safety and security. And so when mm -hmm. they look at investments, especially, I mean, look at the stock market over the last mm -hmm. few months, it's been, yeah. you know, up and down and up and down. Yep. And so when a lot of women look at that, they turn the other way and they say, you know what, I like the security of mm -hmm. just my slow growing savings account. And I'm just going to stick with that. Yeah. And when we asked her about her long-term concerns as it relates to the future of my women and their finances, one of the things that she brought up was that women need to be more conscious about actually getting started. And that is something that we talk about a lot is, and part of the reason we even have this show is to give women the confidence and men too, but to give them the confidence to, you know, get educated really is the big point, obviously, about, about our podcast is so that they can gain the education and the knowledge. And that's exactly what she said is, is that education is key. And then the secondly, she brought up the diversification issue, right? Where you don't just take everything you have and put it all in one place. You put a little here, a little there, a little here, a little there, right? So that if anything were to happen in any one of those asset classes or investments that you don't lose it all. But the point is that, that I really took away is that you need to do what you have to do today. We need to do as women to prepare ourselves for the future of unknown. We don't know. You know, a lot of us are married, still young, husbands are still around, but life is short and there's a lot we don't know. And so we as women need to make sure, especially because we generally outlive men, we need to make sure that we're preparing for the future. And one of the best ways to do that is to get yourself educated and actually start making investments and diversify. Could not agree more. And here is our conversation with Jean Chatsky, where she'll dive into all of that and more. Hey, Jean, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Jean, in addition to being CEO of HerMoney.com and host of the Her Money podcast, you're also an accomplished author. You were the financial editor for NBC Today for 25 years, financial ambassador for AARP, and have appeared frequently on Oprah, CNN, and MSNBC. So with all of that... I got to ask, you, you must have grown up knowing everything about money, right? You probably knew exactly how to save, what to invest in, and you probably never experienced any financial troubles like the rest of us, right? Yeah, or not, or not. I mean, I was, I know you and I went to the same university, go Quakers. I was an English major, um, and I really learned about money through being a financial reporter, but early on in my career, I made every mistake. I mean, I credit card debt. Um, I pulled money out of a 401k, which is one of those things that I start to breathe heavy when people talk about because we know it's such a bad idea. I, I just didn't understand what it was at the time. I didn't really get what I had or the power of what it could turn out to be. Um, I ceded a lot of control over the money in my household to my first husband um, because I felt like he was better at it than I was. I mean, I, I have done, you know, quite literally everything wrong, but I am also a case study in the fact that if you put a little effort into it, then you can turn it around. 
Mm. So how did you become a financial reporter in the first place? So you were, you majored in English. To me, that was a way into journalism. I really wanted to be a journalist. Um, I spent much of my college life at the school newspaper. I had internships at different magazines every summer. I got out of college and I started applying for jobs as an editorial assistant, which was one of the ways in back then. And I ended up with a job at Working Woman Magazine, which no longer exists, but which was kind of a very strange mishmash of a magazine. It was um, beauty and food and fashion on one hand, but it was also business and careers. And the job I happened to get, because it was the job that was open, was as the assistant to the business editor. So I was able to write stories about things like money and investing and companies and profiles of, of corporate leaders. And I really liked it. I, um, I felt like I had a real knack for it. I had been pretty good at math in high school and I liked learning the role that math could play in telling these stories. So when I was ready to leave Working Woman, I went and applied for jobs at big business magazines. That's where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to a, a Forbes or a Fortune or a Money, and nobody would hire me. They Hardly anybody would interview me. And um, eventually I got an interview with a guy at Forbes, chief of reporters there, who told me um, basically that I didn't have the chops to come work there and that I needed an MBA. And I didn't really want to go back to school, so I thought about it for a while, and I definitely floundered. But eventually, I realized that he didn't really care if I had an MBA. He cared that I knew how to read a balance sheet. He cared that I understood financial statements. And so I started applying for jobs on Wall Street and ended up working in the equity research department at Dean Witter for a couple of years and learned that and then went back into journalism. Ah, so you got some real life experience instead of going back to the classroom to study. Exactly. Love art. Okay, so it sounds like you didn't intend necessarily to get into finance, but it sort of fell into your lap, but you realized that you loved it and you had a passion for it. And so you go to Dean Witter, you study, um, study all this, stu I don't even know what you study there. You were an equity <laughs> researcher, is that what you said? Equity research, yeah, I was okay. like a junior equity research analyst in the healthcare sector. So I supported a few analysts who were writing a lot of reports. And, and then I, I went um, and I got a job at Forbes as a, as a fact checker. Um, cut my salary from Wall Street in half. But I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this. And from there, I went to Smart Money Magazine. And that's how I got into personal finance. And that's also how I got on television. So was that, your, was that what you were aiming for through all of these different roles? Was you wanted to get back into, um, journal or into journalism and into personal finance? Was that the trajectory where you were headed? I definitely wanted to get back into journalism. I definitely wanted to get back into business journalism. Um, the move to smart money was kind of an interesting one. I mean, it, it definitely changed my life in so many great ways. But when I took that job, I had a lot of reservations about taking it. 
Um, I was doing well at Forbes. I was getting to write a lot, but I was a fact checker and it was going to take me a while to get promoted to be a writer or a reporter on my own. And they were offering me this at Smart Money, the opportunity to come in as a writer, which was incredibly appealing. But at the time, personal finance, this was the very early 90s, personal finance was thought to be kind of a backwater, at least in journalistic circles. Like people did not want to go into personal finance. And I remember um, quitting my job at Forbes and having this parade of editors that I respected come into my cubicle and just tell me that I was throwing my career down the drain. Um, and I picked up the phone and I called the guy who was going to be my boss and I said, you know, I, I don't know that I want to come anymore. I, I don't want to spend my life writing about mutual funds and 12B1 fees. And he said, you never have to write about 12B1 fees. You can write about anything. The amazing thing about personal finance is it's just about people and money. So bring me interesting stories about people and their money, and you can write whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, that is really, really interesting. And that is, I think, how I've stayed interested in personal finance for three decades now, because I, I really have never, I mean, this guy, his name is Steve Swartz. He now runs the Hearst Corporation. Um, was brilliant. He was a he was like the youngest front page editor the Wall Street Journal had ever had. And he um but but that was a really um really really wonderful way to be able to look at this topic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you were writing about mutual funds and 12B1 fees and then all of a sudden Steve says, you know, he unleashes you, right? He's mm -hmm. like, really, you have the freedom to write about anything. So which is, you know, often when we get that freedom, it's exciting, but it's also daunting, right? Because it's like, oh, well, where do I go? Where do I start? So what did you do next when he said that? You know, did you look into your personal life at what you were doing with your own finances? Did you look at friends and family? How did you know what you were going to write about? Yes, all of the above. I mean, we used to have these story idea meetings at Smart Money and we would call them real life magazine because we were all at the age where we were, you know, various ages, but we were doing things like having children and buying houses and getting insurance policies and figuring out what was the best credit card and figuring out how to buy a cell phone plan. And, you know, <laughs> we wrote about all of that. We wrote, um, we were, I wrote profiles about people and their money. I, um, I wrote stories about the travails of couples who were adopting babies and what a roller coaster that was. Um, and people who bought franchises and what a roller coaster that, I mean, it was, we could write about anything. Um, I wrote the very first big story on um, Quicken, which at that time had sort of started to gain a cult following and stories about the early use of the internet to manage money. I mean, it was just, you know, it was, it was, it, it was all possible. You just had, you know, you just had to find the way in. And through all of this, I mean, I, 
have to imagine that at the time you were sort of taking the personal finance world by storm because it, it sounds like a lot of the other articles that were out there or the stories that were out there were, you know, more traditional let's say, about budgeting, about investing. And here you were writing about real life and real stories and real people and how they related with their money. Was that what sort of made you stand out and what took you to the next level? It definitely didn't make me stand out. It made the magazine stand out. Mm-hmm. Smart Money was a real breath of fresh air mm-hmm. in the personal finance world. But I think, I think that timing was also fortuitous. We um, started publishing right around the time that 401ks took off and -hmm. people realized that they had a lot more responsibility for their money than they ever had before because of the demise of the pension system. Mm -hmm. And so we were in the right place at the right time. The magazine had really, really brilliant editors. I mean, not just Steve Swartz, but Stuart Emmerich, who would go on to run the styles section at the New York Times for many, many years. I mean, he just gave it so much fun and so much life. And, you know, and it had a tone, it had an edge. It was, it was fantastic. I think, you know, I broke out because I got the opportunity to talk about one of my stories on television. And um, and then ended up doing that as sort of an early side gig. I'm curious. So now that you've spent all these years in the personal finance space, you must have seen lots of different ups and downs. And, you know, I'm curious to hear your perspective on everything that's going on now with COVID-19. You know, it's something that we've not quite seen before. So what's your take on it? And where do you think we're headed? And what advice do you have for people? Oh, boy, that's a very, very broad question. I think, (laughs) I think a couple of things. I think this is a time to focus on controlling the things that you can control. And that is true of your investing. It's true of your saving. It's true of your spending. It's true of whether or not you decide to put on a mask or go into a bar. And we have the ability to only do so much for our own financial and overall lives. You know, we can't control the markets. We can't control interest rates. We can't control what Washington is going to do. But we can try to maintain good health in our own personal economy by, by making the right decisions about those sorts of things. Yeah. There's so much going on right now. And I think so many women out there might be feeling, I don't know, kind of lost and unsure and, you know, not know what direction to move. And I think the, you know, the instinct, um, particularly for women out there is to kind of turn inward and to not really do anything. And so I know that you've, um, you're the host of the podcast for money and you've also written books on women in finance. So I'd love to kind of transition a little bit and find out how you got into, you know, moving from personal finance to having a focus on women and personal finance and why that's important to you. I mean, in, in a, micro sort of way. It's important to me because I am a woman. My friends are women. My mother's a woman. My daughter's a woman. I mean, I, and, I, and I do feel like over the years, I've, I've always thought that, and I got some pushback for this. I don't, I don't think women necessarily need different investments. Um, Jane Bryant Quinn, who 
I have followed for, for many, many years, likes to say that stocks aren't pink or blue, they're green, or that money isn't pink or blue, it's green. Um, and she's totally right. But there are differences as far as women are concerned. And one of those differences, you know, there, there are the statistical ones that we still make less money, that we are still the ones who take breaks from work to care for kids and older parents. And that means that when we get to retirement, um, the combo of those breaks and our um, lower wages means we have less money for retirement and then we have to make that money last longer because we outlive men. There's the factual piece of the of the puzzle, but then there's also the emotional piece of it. And emotionally, women tend to put a greater emphasis on safety and security. Um, we need to satisfy the need, it's not a want, it's a need for safety and security before we can move on, in many cases, to investing our money and putting it to work for us. And that can really hold us back because when we keep far too much of our money in cash, um, it's not working. In fact, it's it's losing purchasing power, as you guys know, year after year. So I, I think what brought me to focus on women was trying to solve for those issues um, and recognizing that when you can provide women with a community, with a safe space to talk about these issues and ask questions in a way that we feel comfortable asking our questions, then not only do we do it, but we do it really well. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was my aim in starting Her Money. I love that. I love that because that is so much of what Annie and I have come together for, why we even partnered in the first place, why we have our company, Good Egg Investments, why we have this podcast is it was all in an effort from that first conversation that we had when we met two and a half years ago was we believed that if we could create a community and a safe place for women to ask questions because women learn differently than men that we believe that we could help them through these different channels that we have. So I love that. We'll get back to our conversation with Jean have you been thinking about investing in real estate but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment well that's exactly why we created the good egg investor club we do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong experienced teams and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. 
We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day. Because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to my chat with Jean Chatsky. I did want to ask you, because you, you're the host of this podcast, you've written these books on women and money. What do you feel like is the biggest problem that women are facing for their futures as it relates to money? What is like kind of the biggest thing that you see that if women don't kind of take a hold of this, that they're going to see down the road? I'm worried in a short-term sense about COVID Mm -hmm. um, and about the fact that we've seen this produce what a lot of people are calling a she-session, that that it is women who are being thrust in many, many cases back into the traditional roles of, of caretaking. And there seems to be of no solution for that at this point. I'm worried about the possibility that just as we were making strides to talk more about salary, take additional steps to close the gender gap, find the support of big companies that said, we are going to work on this. We understand it's a problem and we're going to work to solve it. I worry that just as those steps were underway, we have taken five steps steps back. And I don't think any of us know yet until we can solve for the virus and we can get kids back into school, how that's all going to shake out. In the short term, I'm, I'm very worried about that. In, in the long term, I think that we need to make sure that we are a little planful about our futures, a little more conscious about getting started and just staying on track and not letting years, if not decades, go to waste. That's such a good point. I think that from what I understand and talking with so many women that there's such a fear of in, with women and making mistakes, choosing the wrong investment, losing their money. And I think it goes back to what you said about the safety and security, You know that they feel yeah. like they have to have that. And so when they spend this money or not spend, but when they invest this money and there's this potential, right, to lose it all, I think that's the reason that so many women don't get started and don't, and or lose and then don't continue ever again because they're just fearful of that. Well, and I think we have to, I think there's some education needed in the fact that investing is not gambling, Mm -hmm. right? It's, we're not going to lose it all. In the short term, as long as you diversify your, the portfolio you know, could go down. It may very well go down, but in the long term, as long as you are sticking with a diversified, low-cost strategy, historically, we've seen you're going to do fine. And mm-hmm. so I think Fidelity did some very interesting focus groups, and they sponsor the Her Money podcast, and, and I, I pay attention to a lot of their research because it's fabulous. They were very surprised at the number of times the word gambling came up when we were talking about stocks. Yes, it's true. I think a lot of women just when they think about um, the ups and downs, right? I've heard a lot of women talk about the ups and downs of the stock market and they get so scared looking at 
at the the green arrow versus the red arrow, right? And each day not knowing. And with, Mm -hmm. you know, with everything else that most women have going on in life, you know, the carpools, planning dinner, grocery shopping, laundry, like everything else, the last thing you want to do is have to worry that the financial foundation of your life is feels shaky, right? Yeah. But then I think once women learn that it's not just about the day-to-day, it's about the long-term growth, um, whether it be in stocks or real estate or other investments, it's about that long-term growth. Then you can take the fear out of the the day-to-day ups and downs, which is, I think, what a lot of women are seeing now. And it's about measured risk. Right. I mean, I talk right. to, I talk to a lot of women who are in the ten years before retirement, and this is the group of people that has been, I think, shaken the most by the incredible volatility that we've seen in the markets. Because although retirement itself can last thirty years, it's the period of time where you just don't want to lose all that much money, and there has been a lot more interest in solutions for making the money that you've accumulated last and knowing that you can, in fact, cobble together solutions that will help you essentially put together a personal pension, you know, that you can use things like annuities to cover your fixed expenses in retirement in combination with social security while leaving a portion of your portfolio in the, in the market for growth that is necessary. You know, it doesn't have to be an either or. I'm curious, Jean, because you mentioned early on, you're sort of a case study and you've learned a lot of things over the years and made some mistakes and learned from those mistakes and explored lots of different topics in personal finance. So what are you investing in or, you know, how does your portfolio look and what's your day-to-day like are you like changing out your stock are you trading out your stocks ever or is it no 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 that's not me I mean that's not I have a asset allocation I have a financial advisor I don't I put money in that's what I do I put money in through my retirement accounts and through my brokerage accounts outside my retirement account on a regular basis it's pretty much automated. And so, no, I mean, right now, what you asked about my day to day, I mean, the biggest impact that COVID has had on, on my financial life is that my husband and I are in the process of, of moving, or we thought we were in the process of, of moving. And we purchased a place in, in Philadelphia. We're in the process of renovating, like serious reno. And then COVID hit and work completely stopped. And so we thought that we would have sold our house at this point and and have, if not moved, be very close to moving. So the change in our portfolio is that we're a little heavy in real estate right now because we're still (laughs) holding on to that, still holding on to that house. But we'll get there. We'll figure it out. Well, real estate is something we love. So yeah, in our opinion, Nothing you can never be <laughs> too heavy on real estate. <laughs> I'm also curious with all of the conversations you've had with women and the questions you've gotten in through her money, what are some of the top 
questions or struggles that women have? I get a lot of trade-off questions. Should I save for college or retirement? Should I pay off my mortgage or should I pay down debt? Should I, you know, those kinds of, of hierarchical questions. I get a lot of questions about how to find a good financial advisor. A lot of questions about kids and college and what is okay to borrow and what's not. Um, I just worked on an exciting project for the folks at Chegg, the textbook company. Mm -hmm. um, if you go to CheggMoney.com, you can see that work. But for, for recent grads and college students, I'm very proud of, of the, uh, the library of information that we were able to put up there. I get asked a lot about long-term care insurance. Yeah, you name it. So then also you mentioned um, textbooks, right? And the next generation. So in terms of helping the next generation, helping kids while they're still young to learn about money so that they can grow up and have that solid foundation under them and already hit the ground running. What have you taught your own kids about money? And what are you, what do you think is important for kids to learn about money as they're growing up? I think the most important thing for kids to learn about money is that money is a limited resource and they have to figure out how to allocate their resources in a way that serves their needs and makes them happy. And I think an allowance can be a fabulous teaching tool for that. I just think that a lot of people don't do it correctly. An allowance should come with a list of things that you are no longer going to buy for your child, but that you know your child wants so that you are forcing them into this place where they have to make decisions about how they're going to use their money. And that list of things and the amount of allowance should grow over the years so that by the time kids go off to college, they understand how to manage a budget because that's basically what you've taught them. I love that. Do you ever talk about investing like strategies with your kids? Did you ever bring them into any investments when they were younger, anything like that? I tried when I was, when they were younger, they weren't uh -huh particularly interested. Um, yeah. We did some savings challenges at home when they wanted things that were more expensive than they could buy with their allowance or their babysitting money. We created a homegrown 401k and we matched what they saved so that they would actually succeed because you want your kids to succeed when they're trying to yeah. save for a goal. Yeah. I did have, once my son started working, we opened account, an account with a robo advisor and, and a Roth IRA with that robo. And that has really that and the bull market have converted him into being an investor because, you know, when the markets are rising, we're all brilliant. Mm -hmm. And he's been able to automatically contribute every single month, but watch that account grow in a pretty significant way. And that's mm -hmm. been fun for him. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And the, the importance of not just the asset allocation and knowing that money is a limited resource, but having the discipline to make those decisions and also knowing, you know, having the discipline for the delayed gratification, which I think is so important for kids these days. Julie, tell the story real quick about 
how you're involving your kids in in the real estate investment. Oh, yeah. Oh, so many different ways, but primarily as we invest in real estate syndications. And so I've offered my kids the opportunity to, you know, take $100 and, you know, either they spend that and then it's gone or they can invest the $100 and they can watch it grow. And every month they can get, you know, a $2 distribution. And at the end of two years, they would get their $100 back plus an additional $50. And then they would still have their money, but they would, you know, earn a, you know, some money, not a lot, you know, this teaching them this idea of putting their money to work for them. And sure. um, my girls are eight and seven. And even at that age, we started this probably when they were about, my oldest was five or six. And even on, on that level, at that age, they were able to grasp this idea of, Hey, either I can lose, spend this money and that hundred dollars will be gone forever. I'll never see it again. And yes, I'll have an item or whatever it is, or I can take that hundred dollars and invest it and put it to work for me so that I can then take that money, save it and buy what I want and still have my hundred dollars. And so what I was trying to do is help them understand this idea of putting money to work for you so yeah. that they can, you know, grasp that. Because I think even as adults, it's hard for people to understand that, right? They think it's this fear of like, okay, I'm letting this hundred dollars go. I might lose it. And there's all this fear. And so getting them used to the idea of putting it out to work with the potential. And we talk a lot about risks and I tell well, them- I, I'm wonder- I was wondering, I mean, the the $2 a month, is that what you say? $2 yep. a month. So that's a pretty substantial return, right? On the hundred. Yeah. That's a, did you a inflate the return for them so they could actually see a bigger payoff? I and, did. And B, what do you do in months where there isn't a profit? Yeah. So for us in the investments that we're doing, we haven't had those months yet and in, in the investments that we're doing. But I talk to them a lot about the risks that are involved. And I make sure that before they say yes, that they understand. I ask them to repeat it to me. I ask them, well, why does that matter? How does that happen? And they weren't so much able to explain that to me two years ago, but my daughter, who's now eight and a half, she starts to really grasp it. And I, you know, when we go out to different properties and we're driving around and I show them, I say, here is the type of things that we're purchasing together. And then I, I review, you know, sort of all the risks and the things that are involved and what can go wrong. And especially with right now, you know, what's happening yeah. with COVID and people losing their jobs. And I ask them, how does that affect your potential to get returns? You know, and then we talk about job loss and we talk about people not being able to pay and how, you know, that's where their money comes from. So I think a lot of it is just introducing these ideas at a very young age because I didn't learn about any of this until, you know, the last five years, right? So it's been, you know, it's so great. I wish I learned about this when I was a child just to even have it introduced to me as a topic. So yeah, it's it's something that Annie and I are very passionate about, which I did want to ask you a little bit about the charitable foundation and the magazine, Time for Kids. Is that Time for Kids to Launch Your Money? Is that the, the name of the magazine? The magazine is called Your Money. And uh, we are supported by the PWC. Charitable Foundation. Okay. Um, thank them for that. We've been doing this for five years. So okay. every month we produce, in combination with Time for Kids, a financial literacy magazine that goes to two million fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And it is distributed with Time for Kids. Um, uh-huh. It is a passion project of mine, but it's it's been great. And and for people who have their kids at home and are looking for different things to teach their kids, it's, it's available online at uh, time for kids slash your money. 
Okay, great. We'll definitely add that to the links after in the show. So tell us a little bit about, I, I do want to find out a little bit more about that. Is it like, what are some of the topics that you're teaching about? I mean, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, that's like... You know, we can teach about anything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're really, right now, the back to school issue is about how COVID has changed the economy. We have a profile of kids who have started charities coming up in um, November for our Thanksgiving issue. Uh, mm-hmm. October is all about Zoom as a stock. It's it's about oh, what what moves the stock market. And okay. um, But we focused on Zoom because kids have been using it in their classrooms. They know it. it. And there have been ups and downs as Zoom has hit. I mean, you know, the stock has done incredibly well, but there have been some ups and downs as there have been privacy concerns over the last couple of months. So we were right. able to talk about that. We've, we've done lessons on supply. And we did a, a, a great story last year on the Popeye's chicken sandwich. And it was all about supply and demand. You know, Mm -hmm. it was just meant to teach, you know, this is a lesson in supply and demand. So Mm -hmm. we get at different topics, different financial topics in different ways. Do you guys talk about real estate at all? We have talked about real estate. We have talked about, you know, what does it take to buy a house? And Mm -hmm. and we've talked about buying versus renting. So yeah. Nice, nice. Well, I'll definitely have to have to go check that out for sure. So I know there's so much more that we could chat with you about, but we have to move on um, to our investing for good impact round. So we're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good. Uh, So the first question is investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? My investments, and I was very taken. I I did an interview a couple weeks ago with a guy named Ken Dykewald, who runs a company called AgeWave. He's he's probably the, the country's leading researcher in aging. And he has a new book out and he said, did you know that 80% of people have never even bothered to figure out how much money they're going to need in retirement, mm-hmm. which was astonishing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. how, how, for me, I like running the numbers mm-hmm. and by running the numbers and by having a plan, mm-hmm. I no longer feel that sense of worry. I know that I'm going to be fine. And so my investments have helped me with that. Yeah, I think, you know, so much of what Annie and I do is it always goes back to having that roadmap, to having a, a sense of direction of, you know, where you're at and where you're trying to go in the near term and in the long term. Um, and I would say that for sure for us as well, it gives me that comfort to know mm-hmm. that, you know, we're heading into a place that feels safe and, and comfortable. And that you know, goes back to what we were talking about earlier around safety and comfort with women. So I love that. Okay, um, second question is investing in others. So what is one investment strategy or investment hack that you might be able to share with our audience that will help them catapult their investing journey? Automate, automate, automate. I got divorced at age 40 and I felt like I was starting over in terms of putting enough money aside to help pay for half of my kid's college to putting money aside for retirement. I automated contributions into every account that I set up and I have continued to do it that way. And it just mm-hmm. takes the pain out of it because you yep. make a good decision one time yeah. and you get 
get to benefit from that decision for years and years and years. Yeah, I still remember when I was younger and I was working my first job out of college and my mom had, you know, every time I got like a small raise, she would tell me, now pretend like you didn't get that raise and take that money and put it into your 401k or whatever it was or save the money, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and that was that was sort of one of the, the lessons that I still use today is, you know, every time our income increases or we have a little bit of extra money, we still live very much within our means and we take that money and then we invest it to help us live the life that that we want to live, which is which is by design. So um, I love that advice. Okay, last question is investing in the world. So what is one way uh, or one thing that your investments are doing right now to perhaps make the world a better place? Well, two things. A few years mm-hmm. ago, I opened a charitable gift fund, a donor advised fund with, I, I did it at Fidelity, although all the big firms have these. And I started contributing to that on an annual basis with the goal that I could not just give money away, but then grow money to give away. Mm. And so I love the process of donating out of this fund because it, it almost feels like you're donating free money because it you gave it away a long time ago. Now you just get to decide what's the very best use for it. So we support a lot of heart-related charities in my family. And and so I've used the money in, in recent years for, for that, along with, you know, in the past few months, um, COVID and, and Black Lives Matters organizations. That's so cool. That's really the power of putting your money to work for you. No longer do you have a finite resource here that you can only give away once, but now you're growing your money and you're able to help more and more organizations and more people. Uh, I love it. I love everything about your story and your journey and all that you're doing to help people. So Jean, if our listeners want to learn more about all that you're doing, what's the best place that they can go to learn more about you? Go to hermoney.com and While you're there, please sign up for our newsletters. We publish two newsletters every week. They're free. We publish a new podcast every single week. Um, You can get it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And um, and we're putting up fresh content every single day. Please join us. Awesome. Jean Chatsky, CEO of HerMoney.com and host of the Her Money Podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey and your wisdom with us today, Jean. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast. And be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.